so this is another episode of the Artistic Director. I am sitting here with Rich Brown. Rich, how are you doing? Fantastic. Uh, Thanks so, for having me. Yeah, thank you for being on. Thank sure. you. It's uh, excellent. Um, for the listener who is not familiar with you, can you give a, uh, a history, a brief history of yourself in the theater world, however mm-hmm. long or short you want to make that, uh, that led you to doing what you do today? History all the way up to today. Wow. Yeah, whatever, okay. whatever well, suits your fancy. Sure. Let me let me start by saying, currently, I am a professor of theater and dance at Western Washington University. I teach physical acting primarily and devising, which is collaboratively creating new work for the stage, where you begin without a script. Uh, with my physical acting, I teach viewpoint, Suzuki, commedia, and then psychophysical work inspired by Yerzy Grotowski. Okay, so that's where I am. You want to back it all the way up? Uh, eighth grade, cast in your good man, Charlie Brown. Played Charlie Brown. Uh, I could see it. Fell in love being on the stage. Uh, I came from a very small town in Iowa, so there was no theater department. This woman, Karen Bonnet, who taught English, decided she wanted to direct like one or two plays a year. And uh, in that small town, we were, there's like a group of kids who kind of did everything. So I was in every sport, I was in music. Uh, band and choir and drama and speech and debate and all that all that all that so kind of got into the performing mode in high school through there uh i lost uh karen or we lost karen my senior year in high school uh and so then in the small town there was no one else to direct the play so the administration just said you're in a lot of plays will you direct uh and that's the first time i ever directed a play oh, was wow. my senior year in high school Whoa. Did that, and then another important thing happened then. I was going to go to Iowa State and study theater at Iowa State in Ames, Iowa. Uh, but a letter came from Graceland College, and it was to the drama instructor, and she had passed away uh, from brain cancer. So they gave that to the administration, like, we don't know what to do with this, and they gave it to me. And it was an invitation to see Larry Shoes, the nerd, at Graceland College. Uh, and from a small town, an excuse to get out of the small town for a night was a great thing. So uh, I grabbed a couple of my friends and we went to Lamoni, Iowa uh, to see this show that none of us knew or knew anything about Graceland College and just went to go and saw an amazing production of The Nerd, which is to this day one of my favorite all-time scripts. Uh, And got a tour from the technical director, kind of the scenic director there at that time got really interested and said, well, I might as well come and audition here as well. So I auditioned at Graceland. I met the amazing Gary Heiser. Uh, I got scholarships. I had like a football scholarship and a trumpet scholarship and a mm-hmm. leadership scholarship, speech scholarship, and a theater scholarship. And all those scholarships made it cheaper for me to go to Graceland than to go to a state school in Iowa State. So I went and studied theater there for four years and it was fantastic. They had something we kind of hear similar to what we have here at Western, uh, our student theater production. So we could, the students could also produce plays as well as be in the faculty directed plays. So I um, was in like every play because it was a smaller (laughs) program. Uh, So I learned a ton by doing. Uh, First thing I was ever cast in was um, Midsummer Night's Dream along with three other seniors. I was one of the four lovers and three fifth year seniors were the other three lovers. Mm So we would literally direct the show from 7 to 10 at night, and uh, those three seniors would pull me over and keep me until 1 or 2 in the morning because I was a (laughs) freshman and didn't know anything. Uh, So I got a quick uh, 
um, crash course lesson in all the acting theory that I didn't know. Mm. Uh, another important thing happened when in my training at Graceland. Um, this was in 1994, junior year. Uh, and basically at the height of the AIDS epidemic and the hall that I was on, Agape, uh, our charge was to throw this huge party every spring, like multiple keg party, and which we did, and we did well. Uh, <laughs> and I woke up uh, the morning after that and my good friend Ben was in the, um, you know, those college dorm like bunks yeah. above me uh, weeping. Asked him what the hell was wrong, uh, and he had had too much to drink the night before and had unprotected sex one time and was convinced that he was going to die. Oh, wow. Because all through high school, yeah. all through those first years of college at that time, you know, I can still see the graphs that they would show us in health class about yep. you sleep with one person who has an unprotected sex and they've slept with these 10 people and those 10 have slept with them. It's like exponential number, like you're dead. <laughs> um, and that's when I had my very first hunch about devising a piece of theater. Huh. I thought, oh, wow. Like, this is messed up. Like, this beautiful act. Uh, we're now convinced, we're, or we've been convinced, is a death sentence. Um, so then we, I did kind of what I still do today. I got a group of collaborators together. I said, I have this hunch about making a play about AIDS and what it's like for us to live in the AIDS epidemic. Some of us straight, some of us gay. Um, and we... Without any, I never even heard the word devising before. We didn't know what the hell we were doing at all. But so, you know, the Greeks were devisers and Shakespeare was a devisor. And this, like, let's make a show. Let's put on a show as a natural instinct in many of us yeah. um, theater artists. And so we created this horrible piece called Faces that was very didactic <laughs> and, um, you know, bad college yeah, theater yeah. At, its, at its best. I and vividly picture Oh, it, my yeah. God, it was terrible. <laughs> uh, but really great things happened. Like, I had this fantastic English professor uh, at Graceland, uh, Barb Higdon, and her brother Jeff was then dying of AIDS um, down in Kansas City. So that was about a three-hour trip from Lamoni, but she got us connected with Jeff and other people there. There's a thing called the Good Samaritan Project. Um, the AIDS quilt was passing through Kansas City, or they were like making parts of it to send to D.C. at that time. So also this idea of connecting theater to social activism and social awareness um, was a big part of that. So as poor as, as, you know, shameful as the theater was, uh, the lessons learned in making a show together and editing a show and putting up a show with no money and connecting it to current events and community and activism, uh, those were really valuable lessons that I took from Graceland. So then I went down to Kansas City, did lots of improv. Uh, I was in the improv troupe at Graceland, and that's how I paid a lot of rent uh, in Kansas City, actually, because I was working with, first we were called uh, Funny Outfit, right. Okay, well, of course, first there was uh, Comedy Sports. Yeah. So Comedy Sports, short form, blah, 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 which, you know, shoot me in the head. After, <laughs> after two months of that, you hear dentist as a suggestion one more time. One more time. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I quickly learned that Ugh, I can't, I can't do this for very long. And uh, luckily, there are people in comedy sports who are in this group called Funny Outfit that was a long form troupe and just phenomenal, just hysterical, and people from all over Kansas City, you know, of all different um, occupations and whatnot. 
So I auditioned for them, got hooked up with them, started performing a funny outfit. Uh, at that time, we were like hosting improv festivals. So Del Close came down from um, Chicago and met Charna and all that at that time. Um, Charna Halpern. And funny outfit thing evolved, kind of fell apart and became lighten up. So there was about three years there where I was doing a lot of improv, long form. We started with the Herald and then started creating our own forms yeah. and all that. And, you know, there are some times, because Sprint has its uh, headquarters in Kansas City. So there are a couple of times where, like, where the hell is rent going to come from? I have no idea. And you get a call to do a corporate gig with Sprint, and there's the extra 300 that you need to make it. Yeah. Ooh, you know, and so in a lot of ways, improv saved my life. <laughs> uh, so that time I was still doing theater, auditioning for straight theater, doing lots of improv. And I started doing a little teaching um, just to survive. Um, and then... A part of me knew, like I still remember, I know this is a weird thing to say, but I remember hearing this little voice in the back of my head uh, when I walked across the stage during graduation in undergrad, like PhD by 30, because I just wanted more of the information, more of the theory uh, behind the art form that I loved. So after a few years in Kansas City, then I went and got my master's at Central Missouri State University in Warrensburg, Missouri, outside, and that's where I learned about the great, like, founders of devising in America, American theater. So the living theater and the open theater and bread and puppet theater. And it was about that time that this company called Tectonic Theater Project uh, was really making a lot of waves in New York City with their play, The Lamy Project. Uh, so at the end of my master's, I had gone to New York, uh, seen The Lamy Project, was hugely moved um, and knew this was the kind of work that I wanted to do, which again, it goes back to like, connected to communities, social activism work a lot of ways with that foundation of that play and the, the plot of that play. Um, and in the meantime, I had been accepted to the University of Oregon. I'm <laughs> sorry, this is way too long. To get my PhD, edited all this out. So I went to the <laughs> University of Oregon specifically to study devising acting theory, directing theory. And I showed up and said, I'm going to write my dissertation on Moises Kaufman and Tectonic Theater Project. And they said, great. And that got me uh, through three years in Eugene, walked out of there with my PhD while I was 30. Hmm. Uh, and part of interviewing uh, all the members of Tectonic, including Moises Kaufman, the artistic director of that company, was my dissertation was kind of on his whole life and the forming of that company and their work. And through that, he said, well, you really need to go talk to one of my teachers at ETW, the Experimental Theater Wing at NYU Tisch, named Mary Overly. And Mary and Steve uh, Wong, who were two like highly influential teachers of Moises, uh, I'd met Steve before and loved his work. He's the one who had studied with Yerzy Grotowski in 68, and then he had been teaching at NYU Grotowski work for almost 30 years at that point. And then I met Mary Overly, who's the woman who created the viewpoints, uh, the original six viewpoints. And I was there sensibly to interview them about Moises, uh, but I ended up having these great conversations individually with each of them. Um, Mary and I, were, Mary's a very quiet person, which I really love about her, uh, very skeptical, uh, <laughs> at least she was at that time. And, uh, and this interview about Moises was going horribly. And finally, I just pushed it aside and said, forget it, this is not working. And said, Mary, what I really want to talk to you about is space. And I like moved my arm and talked about how now space is so different. And next thing I knew, we were literally like making shapes and moving around this little faculty um, conference room at NYU Tisch and had this weird and wonderful experience with her and went back to Eugene to write my 
you know, 200 freaking page dissertation. And at some point, an uh, email just popped up from Mary Overly that said, I don't know why, but you're supposed to come to New York and study with me. Will you come? And uh, <laughs> my current wife, uh, the amazing Kendall Dodd at that time, just girlfriend, uh, I screamed like a, a girl uh, when that email dropped in yeah. my inbox and said, come look at this. And she goes, oh, my God. And I said, oh, my God. And I said, uh, want to just move to New York after... You finish your master's in education. I finish my PhD in theater. And she's like, sure, why not? So we just moved to New York. Hell yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, so we were in New York for a year. And I was doing an unofficial apprenticeship, basically, in how theater used to be you know, taught with Stephen Wong and his classes and Mary Overly in her classes. And so I would participate. I would co-teach. We would have long theoretical discussions about what we were doing. And it was just an amazing year. And then I was like a bouncer and a waiter to pay rent. Yeah, yeah at of night. course, as you do. As you do. <laughs> and then Kendall and I saw like 70 plus shows oh, yeah. uh, that year as well. So that was an education in and of itself. She was working for uh, in a costume uh, shop that did work for Broadway and off-Broadway. So we had comps through NYU, comps through her shop. You know, we would always just rush lines and seeing shows for $20 or whatever. And yeah, saw over 70 shows in that one year. Uh, and then I got my first teaching gig at Hartwood College in Oneonta, New York. Stayed for two years. Knew I didn't want to work at a private college. I wanted to work at a state school uh, with first-generation students. And that brought me to Western Washington University 11 years ago. Here we are. And here I am. And here you are. Yes. Here we are. Hey. Um, uh, so I'm going to start out. I have a lot of questions to pull, but I like to start with one big ambiguous question. Perfect. Feel free to answer it any way, shape, or form you wish. Uh, The question is simply, what is your artistic direction? Mm -hmm. I warned you, it's big and ambiguous. (laughs) No, it's great. Uh, I mean, I... my direction has led me and I think will continue to lead me to think about myself as a theater maker or a slasher. So I love to act. I love to direct. I love to devise. Um, I love to teach. So instead of saying, I'm just going to do this one thing or I'm just going to do that one thing, uh, I find that when my head is thick in a role just as an actor, I'm learning things about the outside view of a director when I'm deep deep into directing and looking at composition a part of my brain is thinking like learning lessons as an actor when I'm devising and thinking about structure and writing I'm thinking you know learning about how to read my next play so Mm -hmm. instead of thinking about these things as individual I see them all as cross-pollinating ideas together so my direction uh, is about making new work for the stage or being involved and facilitating new work for the stage. So I love working on new scripts. I love making scripts. I love performing in those new scripts. I love getting rewrites. I'm one of those actors who's like, great, there's 10 new pages today. Let's do it. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, I just memorized the last four pages. Like That's, to me, so exciting to be in the room during that moment of creation, during that moment of theater making. I really like the idea of being a slasher, like an actor slash director yeah. slash writer slash divisor. Yeah. And you just add slashes on the yeah, end. Yeah, um, exactly. Where do you think, I'm just curious, where do you think that uh, compulsion comes from within you? Um, well, it might go all the way back to, like I was saying, how I was raised. So it might come from that small town mentality where you mm-hmm. did everything, you know, like I didn't 
just play football. We played football, basketball, and track. Yeah. Couldn't play baseball because you had to have a job in the summer. <laughs> and same, it wasn't just like you were in concert band. Like, you know, in a bigger school, you would be like, all your, you are just a football player. You are just a trumpet player in the concert band. But I played jazz and concert and marching. And so all the bands, yeah. all the, <laughs> you know? Um, same thing with the choirs and so it's just this idea of feeling how wait a minute I'm learning about discipline and teamwork on the football field and that comes right into my band Mm -hmm. practice when I'm a section leader with the other four trumpet players in this jazz band so this idea of cross pollinating um, the cross pollination of ideas and and kind of inspiration and influence coming from different creative areas and resources I think is just I've never known anything else. Yeah. Do you see that in students typically, or do you think students are more, they've come to college and they have one idea that they've set in front of themselves? Um, I think they do, and that's one of the reasons why I really um, like where I've landed, like being at Western with our BA. So mm-hmm. instead of coming to a BFA, you know, where you're just going to learn all, you know, 80 or 75 to 80% of all your classes just in acting. Mm -hmm. Here with the BA, yes, we can take you deep into your acting training, uh, but you're also going to learn all the other aspects of theater. You're going to have to take a playwriting class and a directing class and a, you know, design classes, etc. And you're going to take an astrology class and a history class and a psychology class. And because I think that the more especially for younger artists, the more that we lock ourselves down into a box, it just makes a very narrow path and the wider you can be. And hopefully then that becomes your new normal. You just take this, this idea of breadth through your life. Yeah. Um, and that's, I've, I've known a lot of people who are so focused on acting yeah, that yeah. when they don't, when they have to play something that's not an actor, they yeah. don't have that breadth of experience to pull in. From yeah. Them. And that's something we try to do here, you know, and I, say it all the time to students like be good capitalists you can come here and just study acting if you want but we have students who double major you can you know mm. also have a Japanese major to go along with your yeah. theater major or physics. you could have yeah or physics or yeah. you name it almost every major across campus I think we've had theater students who have double majored yeah. but you can also have multiple concentrations so you can have your acting concentration but why not how could you not be interested in light yeah <laughs> so why not get a lighting design concentration and understand that or you've got your life together you're pretty organized what do you think about stage management Mm -hmm. or hey you've got a good outside eye instinct why don't you pick up your directing concentration at the same time and so that you can again feel how all those things work together to make a production yeah what have for some students they're like no i just want to do this one thing i want to do that and great of course that's your journey yeah yeah um you betcha i'm sure so you've seen you've been here for 11 years going into 11 or going yeah i think so going uh and I'm curious t- about the progression of students from year to year because I have to assume that you've noticed some trends from like actors or students in class. Maybe you haven't. I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm just curious to like what how was how was the average class w- when you started teaching yeah, yeah. versus the like cl- average class today? Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, overall, our students at Western continually blow my mind away. Yeah. Like with their work ethic, you know, they're here literally through the night often yeah. working on projects. Very self-motivated, very innovative, um, very passionate about their work. And most of them, not all, but the majority highly disciplined. Mm-hmm. So I think those things have carried through. 
think maybe, and I was just talking to my students about it this year, a difference that I've like felt crept creeping in the last couple of years, and then I really felt it this last year, is a lack of resilience hmm. and grit. Hmm. And so now I'm using those words actively. Yeah. Um, you know, the physical work that I teach, it is predicated on failure. <laughs> I teach people how to do handstands and backward rolls and forward rolls and to leap literally through the air yeah. and to land and roll out. And yeah. so you have to, you know, unless you've been doing handstands and hands, headstands and handstands uh, and knee bends, flips your whole life, like you're going to fail. And our culture, you know, it's not, I don't fault our current students at all. You know, this is a continuation of this culture that wants to hide failure, devalues failure, and yeah. it's just to pretend that life doesn't contain struggles <laughs> and wounds <laughs> and injuries, you know, physical and emotional and mental, uh, and to try to run away from that part of life instead of saying, like, every mental, emotional, physical injury you overcome just makes you stronger. Every time that you, quote-unquote, fail, you fall out of a headstand or you blow a paper or you insert blank every time that you rise back up it just makes you stronger so i've been literally quoting that great chinese proverb fall seven rise eight yeah it's like that is that's somehow out of our current zeitgeist with the students coming in and so i'm seeing students have a much more difficult time taking um critical feedback And, you know, I can just tell you you're great if you want to, or I can tell you what you need to work on. Like, if you don't want to get better, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah, getting the pat on the back isn't Uh, going to lift you up. Right. And I've been talking a lot about the difference between self-esteem and self-respect. Like, self-esteem is the whole everyone gets a trophy. Like, Mm -hmm. "Eh, we're all great. Well, we're not all great all the time. And so self-respect is, again... I got knocked down seven times and I got myself back up eight. That tells me knock me down a hundred times, I'll get up a hundred and one times. Knock me down three hundred times, I'll get up three hundred and one times. And that yeah. is like self-respect. That's building an inner strength from yeah. your core. And that's what yeah. the Suzuki work is all about. That's what the Grotowski work is all about. That's what, you know, every time you do a show and it doesn't go right, are you going to, the next night, live in that? Yeah. Or have you like processed through it and you're ready to live in the moment on this new night. So this idea of grit and resilience is, because that's, is yeah. key. Because Especially if you don't, artists. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have it, the downward spiral oh, is so, it's so easy. It's yeah, yeah, it's just so easy. And then, yeah, there's just so much wasted energy on beating ourselves up instead yeah. of using that energy to just rise back up. Yeah, you're, you're talking about it a little bit, but I, like, I'm curious, do you have advice for the current student that is experiencing that in terms of like, yeah, you, you fall out of the headstand and it's like, well, I was motivated. I got myself here. I like was ready to try, and now that I've fallen once, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to do it ever. Like, yeah, that's a narrative that gets introduced like pretty aggressively sometimes in the student's head. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, I think the most important thing is the paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. You, if you see that as failure, then that's what takes you down that hole and takes you into that dark spot. I see. And so all the time, like, who? And I ask my students, raise your hand. Who in here learned how to walk without ever falling down? <laughs> no one like you have to fall down to learn how to walk so are you now upset that you can walk yeah. so if you fall down <laughs> what did you do when you're a kid I really you like struggled that. to get the hell back up yeah i really like that 
And that's all it is. So all of those falling down are not failure. Yeah. It's not, you're a horrible person, you should go die, you should never be an actor, you should never be an artist. It's like, fantastic. Now I get that amazing struggle. And to watch kids struggle to get back up, that's life. That's yeah. amazing. Like, I would sit there and watch that more than half the theater I see. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's real. That's, it's yep. honest. It's really <laughs> happening. It's empathetic. Yeah. And it's raw. It's like it's exciting. Raw. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So it's a paradigm shift more yeah. than anything. And we've got to understand, you know, to unpack that. Well, where does that paradigm come from? Well, everyone who wants to sell you shit wants you to feel shitty about yourself so they can sell you whatever product they've got to make you feel better about yourself. So yeah. it's all of this. It's like a mind game that they're tricking us that it's all about the outer, yeah. you know, reward instead of the inner struggle and celebrating that inner struggle and yeah. loving that. And the, the theater, I think theater and art in general is a way to unwind that. Yeah, I think up, so too. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I mean, that's, I think that's what draws people to yep. it. Yep. Um, yep. So I'm, I'm curious when you're guiding. So I really like your teaching style. I think it's great. Uh, I, I went through mm-hmm. many of your classes and there's a um, there's sort of a passionate intensity that you hold within the classroom yeah. that is infectious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm just curious about the structure itself of classes and why you do what you do in order to teach students in order to uh, I, I see teaching as raising students up to a mm-hmm. potential that they didn't realize that they were able to achieve. I'd agree with that. Um, and so I'm just, I'm curious about like tactical decisions in terms of that, in terms of that teaching. It's a, it's a bit of a broad sort of Yeah, it's hard to talk about that generally yeah. because it's always so specific in the moment, yeah. like specific student by student, moment by moment. I guess here, here, I can rephrase it. Yeah. Uh, here, what do you do at the beginning of a class? Like what tones do you set like on day one? Mm, yeah. Okay. That I can answer. Uh, um, hmm. My whole like philosophy of teaching is based on modeling, enthusiasm, not fake but real passion, mm-hmm. and relationships. So the modeling, I think, to get back to your, like how do you do that is key. Uh, I learned so much about teaching from the guy who hired me to be a roofer. When I was in undergrad, which is the only way I could make enough money to go back for my sophomore year, uh, this old guy, old, older guy, who's like in his 50s, Bill Hayden, and he hired me. He's like, all I ask is that you keep up with me. And I was like, you're old. No problem. Yeah. He walked over and put two bunches of shingles on his shoulder and freaking ran up that ladder. And it took me over a month to be able to do that. Like, this guy was a freaking monster. Yeah. But that idea of, like, keep up with me. Like, he brought his passion to his job and asked us around to just, like, get infected by it. So it's a it's an invitation. It's like, I'm, like, I love theater. I really think, like, our country is in an empathy deficit. Absolutely. And this I... is an art form. This is one of the primary art forms because we're in the same room together. We're breathing the same air together. We can see stories that are different than our stories. And we can literally put ourselves in the shoes of those characters just because of the medium itself. And so I think theater is so important because of its ability to give and teach empathy. So I'm not not fucking around. (laughs) When I walk into a class, I'm like, I'm just like, hey, this is fun. Let's play some zip zap zoo. Yeah. Not to say that. Yeah, I hate zip zap zoo. Anyway. um, (laughs) 
Like, this is some serious work. We're going to have fun, yeah. but it's going to be the serious fun yeah. of making work that could literally change someone's life. And I'm not interested in making theater to change people's lives. Yeah. I'm interested in making quality theater that can invite an audience member to have an experience. Whatever it does to them is great. But this is the the medium, the art form, that can spark literally empathy. Like the mere neurons start firing in your brain. The scientists with MRI machines have now proven it. When you're in the same room and breathing this and you're seeing a real human event happen on stage, yeah. not faked by actors, but they're really yeah. living it, we know this in our DNA. Yeah. We unconsciously, like the firing mere neurons in our brains like illicit empathy and it changes it literally like rewires our brains the power of good acting it can change our thing yeah exactly so you know Grotowski called actors the new high priests the sacred priests and said our job was to sacrifice ourselves and so I try to model that Uh, so every day I walk into class I know it's going to cost me something and it shouldn't cost me something same way every time I walk on stage I expect it to cost me something Hmm. that's just can you elaborate on that idea a little bit more like it costs you something well we'll go back to Grotowski Grotowski said the role should act like a scalpel that slices the actor open Hmm. so I'm going to reveal part of my unidentity parts that I don't want people to know about myself when I play this murderer yeah yeah, or this king, or this you name it, um, or this asshole uh, writing teacher yeah. <laughs> from a seminar last year. Uh, <laughs> like to bring, to literally give of yourself. It's like we talk all the time in our classes. We're in the service industry. We are here to serve the audience. Yeah. It's a mind flip instead of like, well, this is me. I'm on stage. I'm the big star. It's like bullshit. Our yeah. job is to serve the playwright. Serve well, serve the as actors to serve the character, to serve the play, to serve the audience, to serve the art form. Yeah, like that's our job. Yeah, and if you're properly doing one, the others becoming easier. They all come in, yeah, yeah. and they all weave together magically. And so you model that, you bring that passion, you bring that same empathy and curiosity into the classroom for your students uh, through relationships, and that's that's it. Um, I want to talk about the act of devising a little bit sure. um, because that's yeah. you, you like it. I guess I want to start out framing if um, if there is a group of actors who have never heard of devising before mm-hmm. and they're all they're all together. They kind of have the same i the same idea of like oh I have a hunch like you had yep. with the AIDS uh, yep. uh, the AIDS performance. I'm curious what advice you have for say there's a group of five actors that all have a hunch and they're focused on devising but they don't know how to begin what are the starting points in order to make a, a good like potent device sure. yes. well first I mean get educated like if you don't know how to do this at all there are books out by Frantic Assembly which is a fantastic devising company Tectonic Theater Project is about to release their moment workbook so that's coming out but you can like read a lot and learn a lot and then watch a lot uh, yeah. Net the network of ensemble theaters um, is online. That's all the devising companies across the country. So you need to go see some devised work to get an idea and talk to people who devise work mm-hmm. and get get thoughts about how their processes work. Um, but from there, uh, I'd say if you've got a hunch about an idea, the first thing you want to start doing is a get your collaborators together 
once you've got your collaborator, start researching that idea, learn everything you can about it. One of my favorite ways to approach devising or how I define it for myself is, is an invitation to obsession. Because hmm. uh, okay. once you start down that road, like every song you hear, every you know painting you look at, every, you name it, is all be like, whoa, that ties right back into this thing we're researching and exploring hmm. right now. Um, and then once you've kind of researched and got you know, a rigorous foundation of knowledge, then start getting up on your feet and making work. And you can just get up and start improvising and recording it and see what kind of stuff you like, or you can use some movement techniques like viewpoints or other things, start making some physical language that you like, and you just start to build this shared common language. And there's a long process of just creating work to see kind of what's gonna stick when you throw it up against the wall. It really ties heavily back to, you have to not be afraid to fail. Oh my you god! You have yeah. to have resilience. Absolutely, because Absolutely. you're gonna make garbage. You're just yeah, gonna like eventually. Oh my god! Yeah, and the whole idea is you create a mountain of material, yeah. and you throw eighty percent of it away, and mm-hmm. hopefully, in there's you know at the bottom of that mountain was a piece of coal that turned into a diamond, yeah. just because you had made all this other stuff, and that other stuff is not throw away. It's not wasted. It's literally like I had to build this pile so I could walk up it in order to see what the show wants to be. Exactly. Like the yeah. show never could have arrived if we hadn't made these pieces, these moments, these scenes that weren't included in yeah. the final show. Reminds me of a, a quote I really like is a master has failed more time than more times than a novice has tried. Absolutely. And I, I exactly really it. love that idea. It's That's exactly like, it. Because you have to you have to use that failure to build yourself. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you make a lot of and I think that's a natural process of art making that mm-hmm. maybe tapers off as you get older. We'll see. But like, you just have to like make a lot of crap first, like flushing your system, you know, flushing yeah. first. The, it's just like in acting, like you're never going to stick with your first, second, third, fourth, fifth, hopefully sixth choice. By the time you get to showtime, hopefully this is like your 12th, 13th, 20th choice yeah. that you've made on that line. Yeah. So you, it's just a process of getting rid of the... Easy. Not quite, not quite, yeah, not quite, not quite yeah. closer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Further away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we say today, you know, that's the choice of today. Yeah. It's not even going to be your final choice, but all right, let's call that the choice for today. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. Uh, we're a little bit past the half hour. Uh, I like yeah. asking, is there anything we haven't talked about in the world of theatricality uh, that you want to talk about? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think we're at a golden age of new up-and-coming playwrights, and specifically playwrights of color. Yeah. Uh, I think in our current political situation, theater has to take a role in terms of equity, inclusion, and diversity, and Absolutely. even more social justice. And we have the playwrights who are out there writing plays that deal with what's happening in our world today, that can help build empathy for our world today. And that why I think uh, older plays and historical pieces are still important. I think that if we are hiding behind canons or if we're only doing those works and we are not giving voice to our current playwrights, especially our current playwrights of color, that we're doing a huge disservice. Yeah. And along with that, not only um, bringing those voices, uh, literally identity uh, diversity, but also genre diversity. I think theater uh, unlike any other art form, has just been stuck in realism since the 1870s, you know? <laughs> Thank you, Chekhov and Moscow Art Theater and Stanislavski, uh, where every other art form, you know, if you look at sculpture or painting or look at music, for goodness sake, have gone through all these different um, rebirths with new styles and new genres. 
So I think uh, putting the capital T back in theater, uh, and maybe that's even with some old, old forms like commedia uh, or mask work or mime, but to ask ourselves as the 2017 theater makers to keep pushing our medium, keep pushing through genre so that we can create work that audiences can't see when they go to the movie theater. Yeah. And if we would, as a art form, stop competing with film and just celebrate what theater can do that film can't do instead of trying to throw more and more money on that stage so we can be like film and just say, let's celebrate metaphor and let's celebrate symbol and let's do what theater can't do that film will always be able to do better than us mm-hmm. and put our attention there and put our attention on new playwrights of color. That's where I would love to see the direction yeah. of theater going. How, as a as a person within the theater who is not of color, how yeah. how can you effectively allow space for those new voices to come in? You make the space. Uh, last two years, I've brought in uh, amazing playwright Idris Goodwin and more performer, but now getting into playwriting, uh, Brian Quijada to Western because they're both hip hop theater artists. And that's not something that we teach here. I need our students to understand that there's also, you know, you're only here for four years. (laughs) Theater's huge. There's so much out there. Here's a thing that we don't teach here because we don't have the specialization, but you might be interested in and boom, you know? So now students know here's this whole other genre of theater. That I can start reading about and exploring, producing shows with my colleagues, etc., exactly. etc. So I think that those of us uh, who are who are privileged have a responsibility to use that privilege in order to make space, invite, pay artists of color yeah. to come and do their work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you get those voices out, empathy. It's just it teaches it's empathy. Right back to, absolutely. The absolutely. more you can spread that, because I I really I, I love framing the audience as a group of individuals i think for a while in theater i saw them as this like writhing mass of like dark oneness yeah and and that's and that that really i think it took the spark out for me it took and what i had that little uh, yeah it was a bit of a paradigm shift for Uh oh this is how you affect you affect individuals and they go out and affect individuals yeah and that's that's a, a seed can yeah produce many plants so to speak absolutely and again i think it's really important as the art makers for us to not say we're making this thing for you to enjoy or whatever like they are 50 percent of it Mm -hmm. like to me my favorite definition of theater is one actor one audience member the space between that is the theater Mm. you can put a bunch of beautiful costumes and great sets and blah 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 and beautiful dialogue here but if you take away that one audience member, you got nothing. Yeah. So they are the audience is fifty percent. Yeah. And what that means is it's not our job to make work to tell them how to live their lives or what they should <laughs> feel or any of that. We create something and then we invite them in to make meaning of it. Yeah. And for them to use it in their life how they will or won't. Yeah. yeah. And that like facilitates the most powerful change. Yeah. Yeah. Um excellent. Uh you know, I think we're we're running right out the edge of time, so Sweet. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. I like to uh, end my podcast with this. Can you give me one recommendation of anything at all? It could be a book, a movie, a quote, uh, a play, a way of life, anything. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know. Just one? (laughs) Start with a big question, end with a big question. As you skim your bookshelf. That's that's so true. Uh, Yeah, man. 
Yeah, I'll say if you're an actor or director and you haven't read um, oh, so many books, um, The Actor and the Target yeah. Um, yeah. by Declan Dinellan, then you should definitely read that book. Yeah, that it was an amazing book. It was Great. really, yeah, oh my gosh, so good. <laughs> um, if people are trying to find uh, you or Western online or Western's theater program, or if they're interested, is there any way that a listener could go and find more information? Yeah, just Google Western Washington University Theater Department. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> It'll take us right there. Uh, perfect. Rich, thank you so much yeah. for sitting down with me. My it pleasure. Was, it was awesome. Uh, Mine as well. You can find this podcast on Facebook and SoundCloud and iTunes. And listener, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have an excellent rest of your day. And that's how I end every...